Hello and welcome to the podcast for Ray Church of the Nazarene. I'm Ben Beckman, Senior Pastor, and I'm glad that you have tuned in to listen to our services and sermons. We've reopened our sanctuary and would love to have you join us in person at 410 Blake Street in Ray, Colorado for our Sunday morning worship services that begin at 1045, if you feel comfortable to do so. We would also invite you to join us live on Facebook, YouTube, or our website if that's a better fit for you at this time. Please visit our website at raynaz.com and our Facebook page for more information regarding our services. It is my prayer that you experience the presence of God during your time with us, whether in person or online. Again, thank you and welcome to our podcast. This episode is a continuation of our study through Colossians. This week's text is Colossians 1, verses 3 through 14, and it's Paul's prayer to an embattled church. He talks about the four evidences or steps of the gospel bearing fruit in the believer's life. And so I just thank you for joining us on this episode. So as some of you know, um, so Grace and I, we headed to Nashville on Thursday morning, bright and early, 6 a.m. We were on the road. We were doing great. Um, And it's about a 15-hour drive, so it was a good long drive, but it was a good time together. Um, This is hard. It really is. And um, when I was a youth pastor a few years ago, um, you know, when you celebrate seniors and the things happening, I mean, I was sad to see him leave. But when they're, they're your own, it brings a whole new level to it. And um, it's, not one of, um, it's not one of complete sadness in a way like definitely our, our home is going to change, you know. Uh, the dynamic changes. Um, but it's also an excitement knowing what God is doing in their life and knowing what he wants to do. And so that time together today, if it wasn't for you guys, it was for mom and dad and grandmas and grandpas and everybody else just uh, to be be able to pray for you guys. And so anyway, sidetracked, um, we had a great trip to Nashville, good time in the car together, uh, talked about a lot of different things. We got to spend uh, a good day, day and a half. Um, She drove us around, showed us where she... Showed us where she works. Uh, she works at a at a church there that uh, they serve a meal to homeless and refugees on Sunday afternoons. And just being able to see the surroundings and, and what she's doing was just good. And so it was a great time for us. And next weekend, we get to do the same thing again. So next weekend, we're taking Megan to Mid-America and... and Looking forward to it. I um, I remember when we had our children dedicated. So what that was was just we um, symbolically and actually in, in very real ways uh, gave our children to the Lord because we recognized that they really aren't ours anyway. They're on loan. We're stewards. And... Um, trusting that God is going to be doing the things that he wants to do in their lives. And so, so that's what this process is for us. And we try to 
to remember that and, and keep that in mind as we go through this process. And looking forward to what God's going to be doing. So, all right, enough of that. We're going to get into the Word today. Um, this morning, the title of my message is titled, Bear Fruit and Multiply. Don't let the title deceive you. It's not, what we're, it's not quite what we're going to be talking about today. But bear fruit and multiply. Over the last couple weeks, um, I found myself in Colossians. And last week I shared uh, just this sense of urgency that, that Paul had in how he was uh, talking to the church here in Colossae. And, and this morning, as, as we're going to continue, I found another passage that I was drawn to that, that I want to spend some time in today. And it's in chapter 1, and this is Paul's prayer for this church. And, and it's interesting that Paul had never visited this church. In fact, he didn't even start it. This was started by, by somebody else. And so he, he wrote this letter as an encouragement to this church. This church was, um, was dealing with a lot of, of difficult things at this time. The church was, was embattled by a lot of false doctrines. Uh, the culture surrounding them was, was kind of oppressive to them. And, and I kind of, as I was reading through that and was keeping that in mind, that, that Paul was writing to this church that was, that was really struggling in a lot of ways, um, I couldn't help but think that the culture that we find ourselves in today is, is pretty close in some ways. And so, as I look through, through Paul's prayer here, it begins in verse 3 and continues all the way through verse 14. Uh, Paul prays some kind of specific things, and we want to uh, pay attention to a couple of those things today uh, that I felt like God was kind of drawing my heart towards. So I want to read, beginning in, in verse 3. This is chapter 1 of Colossians, beginning in verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace and all its truth. You learned of it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who has also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may have a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and has brought us into the kingdom, the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That is a powerful, powerful section of scripture there. And Paul's heart here just becomes more apparent in, in how he is desiring to be praying for this church. 
And what I really found myself focusing in on was, was a few key verses here where Paul was talking about this, this opportunity and this calling to bear fruit. And we find it in verse 6, and it continues through verse 9. And it's this call, this desire that this church be bearing fruit. And so as I was thinking about that and, and, and looking at this, I don't know if it was a spirit, but I just, the question came to my mind, what does a fruitful life look like? And we kind of think we, we probably have a good understanding of that. I mean, Paul writes about it in other passages, but here is, is, as Paul is praying for this church, he is praying that they have this fruit-filled life. So the first thing we see that Paul talks about in, in discovering what this fruit is, is he's talking about salvation. Salvation is this first stop, this first place that, that happens in this life of a new believer that begins this process of bearing fruit. Salvation, old to new, a new life awakened to the presence of God and the Holy Spirit. And when I think about that, I think about the changes that begin to take place in our life when salvation first begins to take fruit. The old versus the new. New life, new choices, new values. Different way we look at things, different way that we choose to live our life. Kevin DeYoung writes this way about this new life with Christ. He says this, Union with Christ fundamentally and irrevocably changes our relationship to sin. Our old self has been crucified and sin has no dominion over us. This doesn't mean a part of us called the old nature has been replaced with a different substance called a new nature. Paul is not talking about parts. He is talking about position. The old man is what we were in Adam. Death, sin, punishment, transgression, that's the in Adam team. But we died to that team. The contract was revoked. We now wear the in Christ jersey. Union with Christ is like being placed on an NFL football team through no talent of your own. Though you didn't earn your way onto the team, now that you wear the jersey, you want to play like a real football player. And I love that. I love the thought process of it's not changing substances. It's changing position. And that becomes a process that we take deliberate steps in that, that is something that happens on purpose. It's not something that just we kind of fall into, but it's, it's position changes. And so as we begin this, this new life in Christ, it's a new position. We're being transplanted into a new place. These new things began to happen. Again, new values, new choices. The second thing that we notice here as Paul is talking about bearing fruit, is he's calling us to grow in the full knowledge of God. We have a church word for that called sanctification. And Paul talks about that here in verse 9, and I want to read that again for you if I could. Paul says this, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you 
with the full knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. The language that Paul uses here is, is pretty important, for at least for me, as I was looking at this. It's not just an awareness. It's not just a, a, like a book knowledge, but it's a full knowledge is how the Greek translates that. And that full knowledge encompasses more than just our minds, but it encompasses our heart and it encompasses our spirit. So this full and complete knowledge of how to follow and walk with God. His will for us is to be in relationship with Him. God's will for us, we often kind of talk about that as some mystical thing, right? We want to know what God's will for our life is. Here it is. It's to bear fruit. And this fruit comes from being fully aware of who He is here and here and allowing our lives to be molded and shaped with His. It's to pursue the things of God only, understanding His heart and pursuing His desires over our own. We just talked about what the work of salvation does. It changes our position, changes our team. And so this is a continuation of that process, being made more and more aware of it and allowing our lives to look more and more like what God desires rather than our own. His desires over mine. It's a partnership and a connectedness with the Father. One of my favorite passages in the Gospels is in John 15, and I want to read a section of that for you. If you're familiar with what John 15 talks about, it talks about the vine and the branches. It's this close connectedness between ourselves and God. And in John 15, Jesus talks about how, how God is, is a gardener and we're the vine and he trims and prunes and shapes. But I want to draw your attention towards the end of this passage where Jesus says some, some kind of interesting things that, of, of his intent for us and his understanding of who we are in him. I want to begin in verse 15. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I've made known to you. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, love each other. Some of us, maybe this morning, need to hear those words of Jesus today, that he chose you. It wasn't something that you earned. It wasn't something that you attained on anything that you could do well. But simply, he loved us. And his desire for us becomes pretty clear here in this passage that he has appointed us to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. As we talk more about this, how many of you are C.S. Lewis fans? You guys know who C.S. Lewis is? Okay. So when my kids were little, we, for a little while, we read a lot of the, the Chronicles of Narnia together, and the movies came out, and those were great. Um, how many of you are familiar with the character Eustace from the Chronicles of Narnia? Eustace. Eustace was, was the kid that you kind of, he just really grated on you. He annoyed you. He, he was the one... Um, 
that you kind of love to hate in some way, especially at the very beginning of the story. And Eustace um, has this uh, scene in The Voyage of the Dawn Treader where he, began, he had been turned into a dragon. I don't know if you remember. And this process was when he was changed back to a boy. C.S. Lewis writes this. It would be nice and fairly nearly true to say that from that time forth, Eustace was a different boy. To be strictly accurate, he began to be a different boy. He had relapses. There were still many days when he could be very tiresome. But most of those I shall not notice. The cure had begun. And so what C.S. Lewis was trying to communicate was this process that Eustace was going through to change from who he was to who God was desiring him to be. And this process, this desire of our own hearts to be united with God and allowing this process to be worked out in our lives, that's a process of sanctification. And so C.S. Lewis writes, the cure had begun. I love that. The cure had begun. Part of bearing fruit in our life that we see here from Paul's prayer is that it's this call to be strengthened. It's this... Um, this understanding that we cannot do many of these things on our own. And in verse 11 here, Paul writes it in this way. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father. Being strengthened is not, um, is not what we often kind of maybe think about, and especially not what society around us, around us consider, considers it to be. Being strengthened is a couple of things. It's a realization of our brokenness. It's a realization of who we are apart from Christ and what Christ does in and through the working of the sanctification that strengthens us. That, that makes us understand that we are broken apart from Him. Being strengthened is not uh, a realization or even a sign of weakness, but it's a mark of maturity and it's a mark of wisdom. God's power and strength is needed, as we discover, for, for endurance and for patience, as Paul writes about it here. There's a, an old youth pastor named Mike Iaconelli, and he wrote a bunch of youth ministry books and he writes this in a book he has called Messy Spirituality. He says, spirituality is not a formula. It's not a test. It is a relationship. Spirituality is not about competency. It is about intimacy. Spirituality is not about perfection. It is about connection. The way of the spiritual life begins where we are now in the mess of our lives. Accepting the reality of our broken flawed lives is the beginning of spirituality, not because the spiritual life will remove our flaws, but because we let go of seeking perfection and instead seek God, the one who is present in the tangledness of our lives. Spirituality is not about being fixed. It is about God's present, being present in the mess of our unfixedness. So wisdom is knowing where we are. Wisdom is knowing that we can't live this life following God's will without His power and without His strength. Maturity 
is humbling ourselves to realize this fact. This is what produces the character in us to be used mightily of God. And that should be our desire, right? As we begin working this process out in our lives of wanting fruit to be evident, is we've got to understand that that happens, begins at salvation. It, be, it continues as we continue to grow through this process of sanctification and understanding it through this process of being strengthened. And it continues, Paul here says, as we give thanks. But before we get there, I want us to understand something a little bit more about our brokenness. Warren Wiersbe, I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly, says this. If you want to learn what a person is really like, ask three questions. What makes him laugh? What makes him angry? And what makes him weep? These are fairly good tests of character that are especially appropriate for Christian leaders. I hear people saying, we need angry leaders today. Or, the time has come to practice militant Christianity perhaps, but the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God, as James 1.20 says. What we need today is not anger, anger, but anguish. The kind of anguish that Moses displayed when he broke the two tablets of the law and then climbed the mountain to intercede for his people. Or that Jesus displayed when he cleansed the temple and then wept over the city. The difference between anger and anguish is a broken heart. And it's easy to get angry, especially at somebody else's sins. But it's not easy to look at sin, our own included, and weep over it. So the brokenness begins to change from where we realize we are as a sinful man to where God desires us to be, to be broken but in anguish over the things that hurt his heart and that motivate us to do the things that he calls us to do to motivate us to bear fruit in our lives. The last thing Paul talks about here is giving thanks. Giving thanks is realizing, in this context here that Paul is talking about, is realizing that we cannot attain any fruitfulness apart from God. Giving thanks, realizing that he has saved us. Realizing what we've been saved from and what we've been saved to, we can give thanks. Paul uses the words here that he qualified us. We can give thanks in that. We've been invited to share in his inheritance. We can be thankful for that. We can be thankful that we've been rescued and set free from this prison of sin, and we can give thanks because it gives us an attitude and a posture that brings humility to our hearts. Henry Nouwen is an author, and he writes in the spiritual guide or the spiritual work of gratitude. He says this, To be grateful for the good things that happen in our lives is easy, but to be grateful for all of our lives, the good as well as the bad, the moments of joy as well as the moments of sorrow, the success as well as the failures, the rewards as well as the rejections, that requires hard spiritual work. Still, we are only truly grateful when we can say thank you 
to all that has been brought to us in this present moment. As long as we keep dividing our lives between events and people we would like to remember and those we would rather forget, we cannot claim the fullness of our beings as a gift of God to be grateful for. Paul's prayer in this passage of Scripture is then further summarized in chapter 2. So I want to move you to chapter 2, beginning in verse 6 and 7, and I want to read this to you this morning. So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, salvation, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. We're called to be fruitful and multiply. So we see here Paul's call to fruitfulness comes through several different positions here. The multiplication comes as we live this out in front of others. As we live a life of fruitfulness in front of others, that multiplies. That's contagious. People want to be around that. That's a life filled with hope. And that's who we're called to be. As the praise team makes their way up as we close this morning, I want to pray for you as we consider all of these things this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for inviting us to be a part of who you are. You call us friends. You invite us to live lives of fruit, lives of thankfulness, lives reliant on you. So Father, today, we invite you through the power of your Holy Spirit to speak to each one of us today. Where do we find ourselves? Is there fruit in our lives? Maybe a better question is, the, is there the right fruit in our lives? So God, today, would you speak to us? Would you work in our hearts? Would you challenge us? Maybe even convict us? Father, today we, we lay our hearts before you and ask that you would do that. Speak to us. Help us, Father, to live lives of fruitfulness. We ask God and pray these things in your name. Amen.